Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. All right, so if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes and please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. Father, we pray that in the midst of just a crazy week, that you would allow us a moment of just breath and focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, good morning again. My name is Kevin. I am the lead pastor of Church at the Well. If you're new here, you're going to get to hear a story here for a second um, that's going to explain the chaos that has ensued from the beginning of last Sunday till this morning. And I think this is relevant. This isn't where I was planning on going this morning, Um, but I think it's relevant. So on Monday morning, we were supposed to get up and fly to Denver in order to go to an Acts 29 conference. And Matt and Pastor Matt and Julie were supposed to go with us. And on the evening, that Sunday evening, we get a call from Matt who says, hey, I'm sick, and I just tested positive for COVID, and so we can't go. And I'm like, okay, we'll figure this out, right? <clears throat> we get to Denver. Conference is going pretty good. Um, I started, I, so for those of you that don't know, I have a disease called Crohn's disease. And one of my major symptoms of Crohn's disease is just constant pain, okay? So it, it's just like chronic, and it will shoot everywhere. And don't feel sorry for me. It's just part of life. It's just that's there. And so the worst pain that I've ever experienced when it comes to Crohn's is when I've had COVID. Well, guess what happened when I was in Denver? I started experiencing this severe pain, and I'm like, Christy, I don't know what's happening. Like, this, my COVID symptoms are really, really rough. And the schedule was nuts. I literally, like we landed at noon. I had to, I had to shoot a video for <clears throat> the conference as quickly as possible. We got to the hotel. They pulled me aside. I wasn't feeling well. We're trying to shoot this video. The, the schedule got nuts. <clears throat> and as the days progressed, I started feeling worse. And I'm like, this isn't good, right? We got home on Wednesday about one in the morning, tested for COVID, and I tested positive. 
right? Now, before everybody freaks out, I'm negative, okay? So, um, so which means now I'm in quarantine. And my symptoms ended pretty quickly. Then I was just waiting in quarantine until I was going to test negative the 15 times that you have to test negative. And so wondering if Sunday was going to happen. In the midst of all of that, we're, trying to, we're looking forward to Sunday, right? Like, okay, this morning, we've got Carson back, going to be playing guitar. <clears throat> we had a lot of people leave town and a lot of other people get sick this week. And as we came in here this morning, there were a couple of things that I realized. We were supposed to be here early. I didn't have a key to get in here, right? Because I'd given my key to somebody else for them to get in during the week. My wife had given her key to someone else so that they could get in here during the week. So we're sitting in the cold this morning just waiting, knowing that none of us know even how to turn on that soundboard, right? Let alone the TVs, right? One got working thanks to Jordan, right? And we're just like, hey, if one's on, great, we'll make it work. We didn't know if we were going to have sound. We didn't know if we were going to have words for the lyrics. We didn't know who was going to show up. All we knew in the back of our mind is... The best we can do is present the gospel, right? So that was our hope. But in the midst of all of the chaos of this week, one of the things that I think I started relating to was exactly what Solomon's talking about here. It has been nuts. It has been a crazy week. Um, We're leaving for California tomorrow. So I have a board meeting in San Jose So we're not even close to being ready for that. For those of you who know, I'm finishing my doctorate, and I've got assignments due Tuesday. I have no idea how I'm going to get those things done, right? There's just, there's a lot happening, a lot. Um, I was getting text after text after text today of people saying, we're sick, or my kid is sick, or, hey, what is this going to look like? How are we going to get, I'm like, I don't know. In the midst of all of that chaos, we find ourselves going through this series in Ecclesiastes, right? What I, one of the things that I've learned, if you're new at Church of the Well, <clears throat> I like to preach through books of the Bible. And it's fascinating how I seem to go through whatever it is that we're preaching. This is why I've never preached through the book of Job with you guys. <laughs> so <clears throat> I want you to think about that week. And here's the thing. My guess is... So my voice is going. I should not have sang, Tony. <clears throat> that was awesome, by the way. My, my guess is that I'm probably not the only one that's gone through crazy this week. <laughs> right? Um, life is weird. We have all of these plans that we make. We have all of these things that we, we have good intentions for. But the reality is... What often happens is unexpected. One of the things that when I'm talking to other church planters, and I get the privilege of speaking to a lot of church planters, is I'll tell them, look, if you're going to have success, you're going to hold tight to the vision that the Lord gave you. But you're going to hold very loose to the methods by which the Lord is going to achieve that vision. And I think that kind of holds true to life, doesn't it? For those of you who have kids, you know this very well. You have these dreams of what kids are going to look like, and then all of a sudden they're born, right? Or if you got married, you got really excited about what marriage was going to look like, and then you got married, right? There's, there's things where we said, man, I, got, I trained myself to, or went to school to get a certain job, and I don't have it yet. 
There's all of this chaos that kind of goes on in the midst of it. But what we hold on to is that the Lord is good. We know that Jesus is on the throne. We know that he's our advocate at the right hand of the Father. We know that his methods are always unusual. And that in the midst of whatever chaos comes our way, we still have the ability to not only praise Jesus, but grow closer to him. And that's ultimately what we're going to be looking at today. Um, last week, we looked at this king, Solomon, who, who is considered one of the wisest people that have ever lived. And he was talking about this idea that when he looks at what goes on in life, things that he's obtained, his work, his effort, his energy, it is all but vapor. And we talked about how that applies to us in a very specific way. Today, he kind of makes this shift. And he's going to talk about what it looks like to be the wisest man that have, has ever lived and how he's going to utilize that to help him understand what's actually going on in the world. And so this is kind of where we pick up. So once again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. If you're not there yet, we're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1. It says this. I, the preacher, <clears throat> have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Last week, I explained this phrase, under the sun. We're going to keep seeing this over and over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes. And just as a reminder, I told you that under the sun is basically meaning everything that's happening on the earth. It's everything that the sun touches right? But I also reminded you that under the sun is not all that exists. And that's a key component that I'm just going to remind you of as we talk about this. So what Solomon is going to bring us back to is what's going on under the sun. And when we read stuff like this, it's going to become very discouraging. <clears throat> I had a pretty interesting week. You probably had a pretty interesting week too. Thinking about my week, I could choose to be discouraged and go, man, what is happening? And looking under the sun, oftentimes what we experience is not what we expect. So Solomon begins this passage by saying, I'm wise. I used all of the resources that I had to apply my heart and wisdom to circumstances in this life. And what I found was that it was all nothing under the sun. So he kind of, he kind of begins this passage with what his conclusion is going to be. And what we're going to find is Solomon applied his heart and his wisdom through this passage in two very specific ways. And I think this is going to be extremely meaningful to all of us. So the first, it says, as we keep reading, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. <laughs> um, when's the last time that you complained to God? God, what are you doing? Why? There's... There's moments in Scripture, just like in our life, where individuals are going through things. Like I mentioned, this character Job, right, who we know is going through hard times. If you don't know the, the story, read it. It's interesting. 
And he, he, in his mind, he decides that whatever he's going through, he's not deserving, and he wants God to give him account of what's happening. We do that all the time. God, are you watching what's happening? Because I don't understand. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to live for you by the best of my ability through your grace. I'm, I'm working to declare your son to others. I'm trying to apply the gospel to my life. But you're not making it very easy on me. This is difficult. Like, why does this have to be so hard? In fact, if you listen to Solomon's complaint, it's actually pretty intense, right? He literally says that God has given his children man to be busy with. It's an unhappy business. Life, God, it seems to be an unhappy business. This, this world that you've put us in, this existence that I have, it's difficult. What are you doing? And it very easily reminds us of the world that we live in, the bodies that we live in. And every week you hear me say, we live in sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies. <clears throat> the earth is not functioning. I'm not functioning the way that I'm supposed to. But specifically what Solomon's referring to is he's saying this business that you've given us in light of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> in light of the result of the curses of that fall, this is hard. Life is hard. It's promised that it's going to be, right? I mean, we can go Christian on it and say Jesus promised that we would be persecuted, but that's not necessarily what Solomon's talking about here. He's literally just observing the world and his energies and efforts in it and saying, it just never ends. Like, I solve one problem and the next one seems to just be waiting for me, right? Right? I was expressing to a leader recently that I was attempting to mentor. <clears throat> he was having a really hard time, and he just kept complaining. I, he says, I, I just feel like all I do is solve problems. And I'm like, what do you think leaders do? Like, if there's no issues, there's no need for leaders. That's why I tell people all the time, like, don't covet leadership, because all it means is the problems that you have <clears throat> and the problems that you see now become yours, Right? The, the whole point of leadership is to say, here's an issue. Here's an issue that's come to you, and we need to work with this. <clears throat> God instituted leaders because there's so many problems. But it can feel never-ending. When's the break? Like, when does it end? One of the things that you've probably had this happen to you before, have you ever been, like, so exhausted and so overwhelmed with life, and you knew that you like had a vacation coming, right? And you're like, this is gonna be it. Like, this is, this is the thing I need. Like, you know that you need the rest. You know that you need this, this time with the Lord or just sitting on a beach with a drink with an umbrella in it or whatever it is, right? And then and even in the midst of trying to do that, it just seems to fall apart. Like, Lord, can he, can't you even just give me this? Have you ever been there? Like, this is basically what Solomon's expressing. And I want you to understand fully, in order for us to grasp where he's going, we're going to have to understand and personalize 
the severity of his complaint. <clears throat> Is it weird to complain to God? Well, in, in essence, it can be, but we see all over Scripture so many complaints going up to God. Right? God's powerful enough to be able to handle it. He's loving enough to hear us. He can handle our complaints. Do we have anything to complain about? Yes. We live in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies. We are products of the curse. I mean, for those of you who like to work, what did, what did the curse say about work? It's going to be hard. You know, it, it's, it's going to have thorns and thistles all around it. And Solomon is experiencing this. He's saying, as I've attempted to apply the wisdom that I've been given, and we'll talk about how wise he was here in a moment, as I've attempted to apply my heart in just different circumstances, I've, I've kind of done everything that I possibly can, and my end result is mankind's job is difficult. It's hard. He calls it unhappy business that God's given us. He basically says what God has bestowed upon us in these curses makes life very hard. One of the things that <clears throat> I find fascinating is, um, you'll probably have experienced this as well, have you ever been talking to somebody and, and you're, maybe you're attempting to help them understand who Jesus is or you're just trying to help them through something and your brain begins to discern that what they're going through, maybe you haven't gone through specifically, but you understand the pain that they're experiencing. And so you begin in a, in a moment of attempting to connect with them to actually tell them their story without knowing the specifics of their story. <clears throat> this happens preaching a lot, where people will come to me and go, who told you, right? Like you were preaching and it felt like so you were just talking directly to me, and I'll actually get accused sometimes of somebody going, somebody told you something about me, and I'm, I'm, thank God I can say, I have never preached a sermon to a person, right? <clears throat> we just go through the text. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you, but isn't it interesting? And what I'm realizing is that though every one of us experiences different forms of the curse, though your experiences in specific ways might look a little bit different than mine, it's really the same story. So we relate to each other. What's the story? Everyone is suffering. Everyone. The hard thing is that we think we suffer more than others. We forget that, yes, I live in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies, but so do you. Everyone around us is going through the exact same stuff. It's hard. So we can relate to each other on this. We understand the difficulty and the pain. We understand what it means to have loss. We understand what it means to get sick. We understand the frustrations of a pandemic. We understand family issues. We understand relationship problems. We understand when we have to deal with the ramifications of somebody else's sin. We've all been hurt. We've all hurt. 
We've all hurt other people. We get it. There's nobody on earth who isn't in the same boat. That's what makes Scripture so fascinating. It applies to everyone. What, what Solomon's saying here is not, it's very relatable. He goes deeper. He's going to add some specifics to this. And I just I want you to hear if there's anything in here that you've attempted, because I said everybody's story is kind of the same. It kind of gives two generic ideas here. One, I guess, from the positive, and one what we would consider from the negative, to try to experience something other than this unhappiness that he's described. So the first, he says, I've seen everything, it's verse 14, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. This sounds hopeless, but I just I want you to process this from, we're talking about the wisest man who's ever lived. <clears throat> and what he's saying is, I have attempted in the wisdom that I've been given to apply my wisdom to this world, to this cursed, messed up world. I've attempted to apply it to my own heart. I've attempted to help others with it. And what I have concluded is in this proverb that he gives, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So what is he talking about here? What is crooked cannot be made straight. What he's saying is it doesn't seem to matter how much good I do. I don't know if you have read the story of the kings or you've looked at Solomon's life. There are moments when when people would come to Solomon and they would bring problems to him. Amazing problems. And when you listen to the stories, and I'm not going to give them to you, you can read them. They're cool. When you listen to the stories of how he handled some of these problems, you go, wow, you are phenomenally wise. This is unbelievable. I'd have never thought of that. What a great way to solve this problem. What a great way to figure out who's telling the truth. Right? You know this story probably. Like, this is amazing. And he's saying, I applied that in every way possible. I, I allowed people to come into my presence to attempt to impart the wisdom that I had been given onto others. I, I taught other people. I, I led leaders. I, I empowered them in wisdom to go and help other people. I did everything within my power to attempt to help individuals to apply it. And what did I find? That everything that's crooked cannot be straightened. It doesn't matter how much money I give, they're still poor. It doesn't matter how much I pour myself into social justice, injustice still exists. It doesn't matter how much I love people, hate is still present. Do we get this? This feels real, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you've been in this moment where, man, it just, I pour myself out and it doesn't really make a difference. (laughs) 
In essence, what Solomon is really getting to is no matter how much I fight the curse, the curse is still present. I used everything within my power to try to do good, to try to love, to try to employ wisdom. And in the end, all of this felt worthless, like trying to catch the wind because I don't see any difference. It's just, it's still there. The curse still exists. No matter how many times I help this one individual, they just seem to keep going back to the same things. No matter how much I fight for health care, people keep dying. No matter how much energy I put into thinking that the fix will be a new politician, they end up just being the same person with different ideas. No matter what I seem to put my trust in, it seems to fail me. No matter how hard I work, the energies of my work, it's like, okay, I've succeeded, but now all it's done is generate more work. The curse of success. He says that not only can things that are made crooked not be made straight, but what is lacking, what, <clears throat> what is lacking cannot be counted, meaning I can never take five oranges and make them six, right? Like, it's clear that because the curse exists, no matter what we do, it's there. So what's the point? What's the point of applying the wisdom? What's the point of applying the love? What's the point of caring? It feels like it's just in the wind. In verse 16, just so you don't think that, <clears throat> if you don't know scripture, or you're kind of new to church world, you don't think that Solomon was just this guy. <clears throat> He says, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience in wisdom and knowledge. Just to enhance that, if you have your Bibles turned to 1 Kings chapter 10, I'm just going to read this to you. This describes Solomon and his kingdom. <clears throat> this is 1 Kings chapter 10, starting at verse 23. It says, thus, King Solomon excelled <clears throat> all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. <clears throat> Anybody can make this claim? Right? I'm still trying to figure out my own life. It says that the entire world, the entire known world knew the wisdom of Solomon. And they all longed to be taught. They all longed to hear it. They all longed to be in his presence because it was so unique and other. He, he blew everyone away. His claim here that he was that wise is accurate. Yet, everything he employed, 
everything that he put his heart and wisdom into, he says it didn't make a difference. So what's interesting is he tries something else. I mean, in wisdom, to me, wisdom is the application of knowledge. In this actual verse, it uses wisdom and knowledge in the original Hebrew as kind of synonyms. But for us, think wisdom is the application of knowledge. So you know something, but just because you know something doesn't mean that you know how to use it. I know, thank you, I know a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge and who are very unwise. Wisdom is being able to say, how do I take the knowledge that I have and employ that knowledge correctly? Apply it well for for the sake of my life and the life of others. And so, a wise person would say, I've employed wisdom, I've employed love, I've employed ideas, I've bestowed everything that I've got to others, and that has left me still unhappy. The end result is still I'm living in the sake of this curse. So what would wisdom say? What about the opposite? What if I embrace the curse? Makes sense? Okay, so if we can't, this is that idea of we can't beat it, join it. If we can't beat them, join them, right? If I can't beat the curse, then what if I just embrace it? What if I become it? So in the second part, what he's saying is, if you look at verse 17, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Now, madness and folly, for us, this is a weird translation. Madness doesn't mean like crazy. A better translation here was, I set my sights on attempting to just do everything that would go against wisdom, embrace the curse, and employ every pleasure that I could find. That would be the opposite of wisdom. But in his mind, he's going, wisdom didn't work. The application of this area of wisdom doesn't seem to help, so let's just embrace the curse. What is the curse? The curse is, is the end result of Mankind saying, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So therefore, let's do that. And if you know Solomon's story, you know that he poured himself into this pretty heavy. He obtained everything that he wanted. He went after money and women. I mean, this was, he was living the life of that, like, 80s rock star where it was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? He, he sought every pleasure that he could possibly get. He made himself, in this, almost appear mad and in folly, just embracing the curse of the world and saying, I'm not going to fight it anymore, I'm just going to own it. So what is my body longing for? That's what I'm going to do. What is my, my heart, which I know Scripture says is wicked and deceptive, want? I'll just follow that. What do I want to eat? What are the lusts of the flesh? 
I mean, every way Solomon sought after the lust of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. Helping people didn't seem to matter, so let me help myself. And he obtained everything that he went after. He, he had the ability, like, <clears throat> I mentioned this last week, we have these things in our life where we go, man, if I just had that, life would be good, right? And it doesn't always have to be like anything major. Um, our culture perpetuates this in every way possible. I saw a commercial yesterday where it was like, um, and I don't, it was an Apple commercial. And it was basically attempting to sell the iPhone 14 Pro. <clears throat> and how it attempted to sell it was, everybody wants this. You know you want this. You need it. Your life will be so much better if you just have the Apple iPhone 14 Pro right? The camera is so much better, and it went on and on and on. And I thought, <clears throat> obviously, they're smart. This is appealing to people. And some people literally are sitting back right now watching this commercial and going, man, my life would be better if I had an iPhone 14 Pro. Like, that's what I need, right? So that's not really my style. My style is more the Mountain Dew commercials, Right? And I know you've seen these. You pop open the Mountain Dew and you get to go hang gliding, jumping out of planes, right? You're playing beach volleyball all the time. I open Mountain Dews, nothing that ever happens. But that's what's promised. It's like if I just had that, then I would be happy. Like life would be better. <clears throat> Solomon was in a position to do it all. He could produce the Mountain Dew commercial live. Right? He didn't have to desire iPhone 14 Pro. It was already there. Like, he already made it. Like, it was like, hey, Solomon, what do you think of this? Great, give it to me. Whatever it is, the cars, the chariots, the women, the stuff, the pleasure, my body's craving this, he could do it. Anything that he wanted, anything. He attempted it all. So he embraces this. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. He says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. Uh, vex, vexed, vexation, that's not necessarily a word we use anymore. I feel like it's being made popular again by like British, old British sitcoms, right? Like back in the day, my, my daughter will come to me now and say, I'm vexed. And I'm like, who are you? And why are you talking in period? Right? But what does it mean? It means it, it's, a, it's a shock. It's an overwhelming feeling. It's surprise. It's, it's awe. It's disgust. It's all of those emotions kind of wrapped up in one. Much wisdom, 
for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. One of the things that I think that Solomon is, is going to focus on here for us is this. He attempted to employ wisdom, love, help the world, and he found himself still in the midst of the curse. No matter what he did, it didn't seem to fix anything. So he embraced the world. And he said, okay, I'll embrace the curse, and I'm just going to go after every pleasure. And in process, it destroyed his soul. Here's the problem with the other end of this, the folly component, is that sin is destructive. The wages of sin is death. So embracing the other end, the folly, the madness, the is embracing and courting death on a constant basis. One of the things I, I remember talking to an individual who had been addicted to drugs for a very long time, and they were in a rehab. And I went in to counsel them, and uh, I said, hey, let's tell me your story, and I was listening to it. And I said, do you believe that God exists? And he goes, no, oh, no, I don't believe it. I know it. He wasn't a believer, but he said, I know God exists. And I said, well, how do you know God exists? He says, I've seen hell. So I know heaven must exist. There has to be. It can't just be hell. There has to be something else. He said, I I've embraced, I've been using drugs for so long now that I ended up experiencing my own personal hell. And if, and I have to believe that there's something better than this. See, the problem with sin is that it doesn't desire just to hold you captive, it has to destroy you utterly. And that's that's what Solomon would have experienced. You can read about it. He made some big mistakes. The wisest man in the world was making some foolish decisions. Why? Because sin ultimately desires to destroy. The ramifications of the curse and embracing those wholeheartedly remind us that there is a hell. That left to our own vices that's what we will walk toward. Isn't that fascinating? As far as I can tell, we're the only created beings, and we're supposed to be the crown of the creation. We're the only created beings that go, I live to destroy myself. I long for that which kills me. I know it kills me. I know it hurts me. I know the ramifications of it, but I want it anyway. We have an individual who had the ability to experience both sides of the coin. And in the end, came to the same conclusion. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Why? You know that saying, ignorance is bliss? You know those things that you just don't want to know? I don't watch the news for a reason. 
It's just new ways of people doing old sins, <laughs> right? I could tell you what's going on in the news without watching it. I mean, it, I know that it's important to understand current events. I know it's important that we need to be able to pray for things like the hurricane that were happening and so on and so forth. I get all that. But I'm pretty certain that if I were to turn on the news right now and I haven't watched it in a month, that there's going to be some political issues. There's going to be some criminal issues. There's going to be some hate issues. And there's going to be some random story of goodness that is going to make no difference whatsoever about some kid selling jelly on a corner. Right? Here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that I don't know you and you you may not necessarily know Scripture, but your life was just described to you here? I get blown away by that. I mean, I don't know which side you're playing right now, right? I'll be honest, we've, played, we've all probably played both, right? You've toyed with the sin thing. Maybe you're still there. You've toyed with attempting to be holy. Maybe you're still there. Both seem to have produced the same thing where you're going, okay, I'm still tired. I still feel like this is a waste. And I'm either hurting myself more or realizing that it it just doesn't matter. Right? We've all been there. This is our life. This is life under the sun. Now that we are all thoroughly depressed, The beauty of understanding life. It's like, why go through this? The beauty of understanding life under the sun is a desire to long for what we know must be different. In the midst of the hell that we've created, we long for that which is better. On top of it, we realize we can't get there on our own. We can't produce it, and we can't get there. We can't send somebody else there. It's utterly hopeless. The beauty of what Solomon's talking about here is realizing our 100% dependency on something else. Now, the beauty behind that is the story of Jesus. We have conversations with people and they'll say like, I mean, they may not use these specific words, but you express the gospel to them. Jesus came, he lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death that you deserve. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. And he offers you his work free in faith and he offers you new life he doesn't offer you an escape from what's under the sun he offers you the ability to be something new under the sun 
And what people will say often is, wow, what a weird way to save the world. I agree. What a weird way to save the world. But the promise of that gospel, that good news, is that you may not escape. You won't. (laughs) Let me rephrase this. You won't escape what's under the sun, but you gain a new perspective for what you're seeing. You, You, through the love and grace of Jesus, are provided a purpose amongst all of the curse. Meaning, as everyone's trying to figure this out and just running around and experiencing, attempting to catch the wind, in Christ you say, there's no point in catching the wind. The real purpose of life is to know Jesus fully, declare him to others, and bring him glory. And the crazy thing about it is when life becomes that simple in Christ, your joy increases. Now what's crazy about all of that is that happens in the midst of the curse. It happens in the midst of what is under the sun. Now, for some of us as Christ followers, because we're still living in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies, we'll still toy with what's under the sun. But in Christ, what ends up happening over time is we realize, what am I doing? That's never produced joy for me. Naturally, I'm drawn to what destroys me, but by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I'm realizing that I'm, I, I need to let go of that as often as I possibly can so that I can experience the joy that I've been created to experience in the Son. One of the things that people will want to talk about with Christianity is, you know, and I actually heard this recently told to somebody. Oh, you got to become a Christian and all your problems will go away. And I'm like, I, I mean, I almost cursed. I probably did in my head. I promise not to do that in here anymore, so I won't. But you want to say, what, what are you talking about? Can you imagine going to Paul? The Apostle Paul, and saying, man, I don't know what sins in your life, but, you know, if you must not know Jesus or you have some kind of hidden sin in your life because your life is hard. Like, can you, I, let, me, let me up one. Try telling that to Jesus. Jesus' life wasn't great. It was great, but it wasn't great by under the sun standards. His life was hard. The end result of the most perfect being that has ever existed on the planet. The end result. So the perfect being, the one who lived the life that you can't live. 
your Savior, Jesus, the perfect being. Everyone else who is under the sun, the response to perfection was it has to die. Why? Have you ever thought about why? Perfection is a threat to what exists in the world of the curse. Because perfection calls out the fallacies of the curse, the consequences of the curse. It calls individuals to something other in the midst of the curse. I was at this conference this week, and one of the things that struck me, where one of the things we were talking about was the how the gospel is the great equalizer, and or specifically revolving it around like racial reconciliation, and how the gospel is the really the only thing that's going to ever see individuals come together, right? Which we also know individuals won't always ever come together because we live in a sin cursed world. But that's the beauty of the church. And as they were talking about this, and one of the things that I had never, I mean, maybe I had thought of it in the past, but do you realize that when Jesus came, he actually entered the curse? Like, we talk about breaking barriers. He broke every single barrier just to show up here. He literally became an individual who was set under the curse. We won't even walk across the street to talk to someone. His attempt to truly and fully relate to us was to actually put on skin, to show up as messed up individual, right? And then live it perfectly. He relates in every way. One of the most beautiful things about studying the life of Jesus is that we get to see what perfection looks like living under the sun. We can apply it. We see that even in the midst of Jesus' suffering, he always had joy. He maintained his purpose. He experienced all of the hate, all of the pain, all of the consequences of the curse yet remains other he didn't avoid it he didn't say let me show you how to live outside of the curse because that's not possible for us he said let me show you what to do as a blood-bought individual within the confines of the curse he in essence, his life becomes one of the greatest sources of hope for us. That he actually was able to take all of the pain and suffering and say it was grounded in joy. What Solomon is pushing us toward is an understanding that the curse is not going to be removed from us. It's always going to be hard. We're always going to struggle. We're always going to have some sort of tendency to lean toward, I'll make it very simple, 
doing good or doing bad. We're always finding ourselves in that, that world. The end result of all of our labors in our own flesh under the sun will always be the same. It will always feel worthless. It will always feel like chasing the wind. It will always produce that which will destroy us. Yet, everything gets turned upside down in Christ. The pain doesn't go away. It gets refocused. The hurt in the earth still remains, but we look at it through a different lens. It's interesting that Scripture will actually turn everything upside down in Christ by saying things like, you can relate to Jesus through suffering. That's a good thing. But our natural tendency would be avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. That you can relate to Jesus by being on mission. But our natural tendency would, know, would say, no, survive, 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 survive. Even as Christ followers, what our natural tendencies are constantly fighting against that which the Spirit says will provide the hope, the purpose, the impact, the joy under the sun. What I'm learning is that what Solomon is really pushing is what discipleship truly looks like. It's a constant emptying of ourselves and inviting Jesus into the spaces that we haven't invited him in yet. I don't know where everybody's at in this room. What I guess is that everybody had a week similar to mine. You experienced good, you experienced bad, you experienced heartache, you experienced pain, you experienced fleeting happiness. What I know is that our culture and our environment tends to push us from experiencing what we can experience under the sun in Christ to, to keep chasing that which Solomon, the wisest man that has ever lived, chased. Remember I told you wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it well. So I'll challenge you with this. If the wisest man in the entire world couldn't figure it out. Why do we think we can? If the wisest man in the world realized that he can't escape this curse, why do we believe that we can? You can't escape the curse, but you can escape hell. You can't escape living a life that is defined by chasing the wind. 
if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you the rest of your life until you do. It looks like what Solomon's attempting. It's a rat race. You're on a wheel. And you can run as fast as you want, but you're not going to get anywhere. You can't escape it. No matter how much you attempt to achieve, that knowledge will make you more and more sorrowful because you'll realize that no matter how smart you become, how much wealth you achieve, or how, how much you try to help, you still are stuck in a sin-cursed world that can't be fixed. The answer is Jesus. I mean, if that's you, then I would encourage you, take a step. I mean, if you've tried everything else, why not try Christ? Which is a horrible sales pitch. But there's some reality to it. Like, what if this is correct? What if this is how your life is being described? And if you're really honest with yourself, I think you'll see that it is. What's the answer? Jesus. It's taking your eyes off of everything else and putting them on him and him alone. And if that's you, I'll challenge you. I mean, we're going to have some people you can pray with, but ask questions. Talk to somebody. You can come talk to me if you want, but you can turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we have some coffee? I got questions. Don't leave here stuck with no hope in the curse. For us that know Christ, we're not off the hook. Our job is to recognize by the grace and the faith and the power of the Holy Spirit the areas of our life that Jesus hasn't been given access to. My, I don't even like the phrase life verse, but if I have a life verse, it's Luke 9, 23. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Why do I like that so much? Because it's a constant reminder that I'm not there that there's something messed up in me. There's some desire that I have that's curse-based that needs to be denied. And Jesus needs to come in. It's, It's a burden of a constant cross. What needs to die consistently in me? And what I have learned as I'm getting older is it changes. What I used to struggle with in the past, I don't anymore, but now I'm struggling with something else. Why? Because I live under the sun in a cursed world. And to say that we're there is foolishness. So we constantly just keep our eyes above what's under the sun. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to walk through my day today. And I know that there's going to be areas that you're not invited into, so help me deny myself. Take up that cross, kill it, and follow you. We are, 
The church is the hope of the world in Christ. It's the tool by which Jesus has initiated to see more people come to faith in him. And yet we still toy with the curse. There's too much at stake. Your purpose and joy are at stake. But so are others. So what needs to change? Simple question. How, Christ follower, are you living for what's still under the sun and not what's above it? And what are you going to do? We, as a church, need to do a better job of understanding the wisdom that has been given to us and make a better declaration of dependence upon Jesus. And in so do, doing your promised an abundant life. Not just when you die, but now. What's an abundant life? It's the ability to live a life that's effective in Christ that brings Him glory while under the sun. So here's what we're going to do. It's a little different. I'm going to pray. Band's going to come up and sing a song. We're going to offer you the opportunity. Um, Scott and Bridget will be standing over here. If you just need somebody to pray with, you're welcome to come join them. They would love to pray for you. I, <clears throat> I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in here, but I know that he's doing something in me, so I assume he must be doing something in someone else. And I'm going to challenge you not to leave here the same. So whatever it is you're dealing with, you don't have to deal with it on your own. Like, take a bold step. It could be something as simple as, the Holy Spirit has just revealed to me what it is that I need to be denying and where He's not being invited in. Well, then tell somebody. And get prayed over. Or it could be as beautiful as, I don't know Jesus but I want to. Don't leave here the same. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, the reality is the book of Ecclesiastes is hard. It points out the things in our heart that we don't like. Lord, I am overwhelmed that you're your word is the only thing that we've ever experienced that is both convicting and hopeful at the same time. Lord, we are people living in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies under the sun, and we can't escape that. So I pray that you would remind us of that on a daily basis. Lord, help that lead to a greater dependency upon Jesus. Father, I want to pray for anyone in this room right now who has never given their lives to Christ, who are still trusting in what's under the sun. Lord, break their heart. Remove the heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. Use your Holy Spirit to give them the ability to believe. 
Lord, please, I beg you, don't let anyone leave here without knowing you. Give them boldness and courage to speak. And Lord, for your church, may our lives not be dependent upon what's under the sun. May we not waste our time seeking after that which the wisest person in the world couldn't obtain. Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us the ability to understand. Lord, help us live lives to bring glory to Jesus for our greater joy. May your church be effective in the midst of the curse for the glory of Jesus and nothing more. We pray this in his name. Amen.